Hey, what's up, everyone? Early bird tickets for the MXU Live Tour end on May 31st. Prices are going up at the end of the month, so get them while they're hot and cheap. We also announced a new feature to MXU Now this week, Playlist. We've come up with some unique playlists that we think will help you learn in a more engaging way. But also, if you're a team subscriber and you lead a team, you now have the ability to go and create your own unique playlist for your team. So go check that out. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Mike Rentals. We love testing out microphones and we love using Mike Rentals to do that because we can rent them for the day and it's not that expensive. And if you use code MXU15, you get 15% off your order. If you need a custom order, an entire rack of wireless for your vacation Bible school activities this summer, they can help you out with that too. So go check out MikeReynolds.com and use code MXU15 at checkout or mention it when you speak to them on the phone. All right, let's get to the podcast. You are now entering the MXU podcast. No credentials required. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 68 of the MXU podcast. I'm Jeff Sandstrom, and I'm here as always with Lee Fields and Jay Desai. Dadu Worldwide, Master of Ceremonies himself. How you doing, boys? Man, I'm exhausted. <laughs> Why are you so tired? Because <laughs> I've been in the kitchen all day. I'm, I'm making dinner for some friends. Are you making uh, tikka masala? Nah, bro. I'm making um, uh, sous vide some steaks. They're still sous vide. Hasselback potatoes. Some asparagus. Some salad. One one stick of asparagus. <laughs> Just the biggest asparagus you've ever seen. When are you going to awesome. teach us how to make tikka masala? Uh, next time we are together, like okay. in a house somewhere, we are going to all make it together. Yes. You know, we could have done that if you had come with us to Asheville last week. You know, my, I had to keep things uh, real here in Atlanta. Got to hold it down. Our crime rate's up. <laughs> I'd be out in these streets. <laughs> out in the streets, son. <laughs> we had a lot, a lot of fun stuff going on this past week. There was a soccer game. Passion celebrated ten years in their building. Ten um, years at five fifteen. At five fifteen, yep. That's the name of the building for people. Yeah, a lot, a lot of confusing numbers. It's the address of the building, and that's amazing to me that it's been ten years. Yeah, it's wild, man. That Jeff, is wild. You have no gray, and somehow I have a ton of gray. Ten years. Well, later. my gray is in my beard if I let it grow out. Kind of like yours. Yeah. Speaking of, at DPA, can we get a gradient mic that goes from black to gray? To white. (laughs) To white. To match my beard here. Yeah, the cocoa isn't working so well. We can get you an Earthworks mic and uh, airbrush it. (laughs) I'll take it down to Panama City with me next time I'm there. (laughs) Gatlinburg. Gatlinburg's closer. (laughs) I love Gatlinburg. I drove through Gatlinburg last week. Oh man, it's so I got good. some uh, friends moving to Knoxville, so I, I I flew out to play tour guide for them. Uh, Fanny Farkles in Gatlinburg. That's oh, so good. Pancake mm-hmm. pantry, pancake houses everywhere. Oh, yeah, yeah, just yeah, the best. Tikka masala on the tour. That I think that might be when we do it. Okay. I'll see you before then, but yeah, I'm about due for a left coast visit. You are due. We need. Yeah, let's just do that. But speaking of the tour. Um, early bird tickets are going away at the end of May. Yes. So get on it, people. I feel like I'm going to buy a few and then just kind of sell them in the black market. It's getting that way. (laughs) Um, I think this whole thing's going to sell out in July is my guess. The whole thing. 
Why would you say that out loud and jinx us? Why? I don't know. I just think maybe it'll be gone by then. A couple of our after parties are actually already at capacity, which is There's crazy. some cities with the VIPs are already sold out. I, uh, I drew up a picture of a tour bus and what I want our tailgate experience to be. <laughs> Things it that is, keep you up at night. Yeah, it is complete with... Well, I've never had a tour bus and been the one in charge, so don't take this from me. Okay, okay, all you. Okay? Yeah, yeah, all you. You know, Jeff and I get to call the shots now. That's right. Except when we're on tour, I'm the tour manager, and I rule with an iron fist and a nine millimeter. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. (laughs) We're going to have a AstroTurf Foundation. We're going to have a Traeger in a B3 road case, I think, is is the best option. Smart. We're going to have a pop-up television in a road case. We're going to have a solo stove, camping chairs, pop-ups to uh, protect us from the sun, and some custom cornhole boards. Heck yeah. What do you think of that? I think that sounds like a good time. I want to try and park the bus in the front of the church so everyone can experience tailgating at the MXU tour. I think that's great. Okay. You're the tour manager, so... This is how I used to explain it to Crowdy. I used to say, <laughs> you can own the Titanic, but I'm the captain. So like, if you want to go to the dining hall and break all the plates, go right ahead. But I am still steering the ship. However, he reminded me that the ship hit an iceberg and everyone died. So my analogy well, you got to take the good with the bad. My analogy didn't work quite as well. That's awesome. You oh, can't argue are- with that guy. He's too smart. He is smart. Yeah. He's way but too smart. we are so excited about the tour. It's going to be awesome. It is going to so, be awesome. If you don't have your tickets yet, you got to go to mxu.rocks and get them while you can still get them for the early bird pricing, which, as Lee said, ends on May 31st. So get your button gear, go click the mouses and get your tickets. That's and bring, true. Your, bring your people. Bring yes. them. Yeah. Nobody, I, here's a pet peeve of mine ever since we've been doing these events. You know, the first first couple events, okay, I'll give you a pass. But ever since, like, 2017, if you're buying a single ticket instead of coming with your team, you're making a big mistake. Because especially for the two-day events, it's designed for teams to experience it together. We're going to talk about not only audio, but video and lighting and communication and how to work with an MD and programming a service and design and all kinds of things that you're going to want to have these conversations as a team. So don't buy just one ticket. Bring your people for crying out loud. And if you do buy one, just know that Jeff will print out your picture. And he, <laughs> in his spare bedroom, he has a collage of all your faces. No, I think what we should do is make it a part of the tailgate. Do an MXU dartboard with those faces on it and we could just ah, things got real dark people. real quick absolutely you, when he said it's a pet peeve he wasn't kidding yeah, yeah he hates it um i was talking to a friend a uh, young guy out in alabama in tuscaloosa named nate williams real nice real nice guy he just started a church out there like a year ago and he's bringing one of his main volunteers and i'm super stoked to meet uh one of his main guys because he's a linguistics uh professor at the school Oh. And like apparently so good with frequencies, can listen to someone and kind of pinpoint the region they're from and all this stuff, which I say we take that guy on tour and charge five bucks like a gimmick. 
oh, I want to bring this guy on stage and like try this. Absolutely. Yeah, he's they're coming, they're driving up to Atlanta. Linguistics professor, and he's at University of Alabama. Yep. Well, that's the perfect school to study foreign accents. <laughs> There's one. <laughs> yeah. That's Maybe you awesome. can trace like family lineage. You can see if two people are related. Hey, I want to wow. tell you guys, um, I listened to the last uh, podcast episode on monitors. You guys did a pretty good job. Oh, thanks. Oh, yeah. We thought you'd be hurt that you weren't on it. No, not at all. I, I it, well, it was about monitors, so I don't know if you know, but I don't know what those <laughs> yeah, are. <laughs> I think we made that clear at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> you did. You did. It, what was funny was I thought it was hilarious that I, I was busy doing a conference and just I had to miss it. But it wasn't planned. Well, since he's not here, let's do monitors. That that didn't happen. But yeah, but I love but you it. You got out of it, so great. I, yeah, I, just like doing monitors, got out of that too. <laughs> Speaking of the conference, how was the conference? It was good. It was so for people who don't know, uh, the beginning of May most every year is when Bayside has their main Thrive Worship Conference every year. Yeah, so that's what this was. Yeah, it was great. It was we typically it fills up with people on staff from other churches. But this year, our pastor wanted to do the conference for our church, kind of like a, a shot in the arm, so to speak, re-energize the, the core of the church. A little worship vaccine. Yeah, a little worship vaccine. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> I didn't even think about that when I said shot in the arm, but that's hilarious. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it was really good. The room was full. It was a total super spreader, so that's awesome. Um, I don't think anyone got COVID, though. It didn't happen. No. Uh, but it was fun to mix in a completely full room. You know, we've done a few services where it's like three quarters and it feels really full, but this was full, full. So that was, it was a lot of fun. And... Got to try out a lot of new stuff, some new microphones. Got oh, do, t- do tell. Well, I don't want to tell yet because, y- you know, I went on this journey to find a replacement for the Mojave microphone that they don't make anymore. Right. So we have a friend that's on our team Slack who DM me and is like, hey, I have all those microphones you talked about on Facebook how about I send you a Pelican full of them? And he did, Brent. Thank you very much. So he sent all these mics. And then um, there was one I was missing that Stephen Ruta found on Reverb.com and bought and sent to me. So I had the drummer randomly switch out microphones and not tell me which one he was using on the snare bottom during rehearsals. So he'd be like, hey, it changed it. So, you know, we'd mute. He'd, he'd pop another one on. We'd unmute, set the gain, and like, and just listen to all these mics. And we found one, but I don't want to say yet because I don't want our friend at MikeRentals.com to get inundated with people purchasing using code MXU15 because they get 15% off all their future orders. Plug. So let's um, let's wait. <laughs> let's wait <laughs> wait until he has stock of those Yeah, mics he doesn't have do any it. of them right now. <laughs> I've never wanted to change the bottom snare mic in my life. Okay. I just wanted to say that. Well, what do you use? A 57. Okay, see, yeah, I, doesn't matter. I high passed the fool out of it and I just slammed that thing. No, the snare bottom is all the sauce. Okay. I can't wait. I can't wait for your video on snare bottom miking. It's uh, it's there. 
Or yeah, you need to subscribe to MXU now. Well, why don't it's you on make there, a play- Jay? I, you know what? I would like for you to create a playlist of videos that Lee wants that dude to watch. How about that? Well, guess what? Speaking of playlists, it's available now. <laughs> I honestly, we, that wasn't going to be a plug. I just found the playlist feature today. Yeah. It just started the, today. Oh, that's why. <laughs> Oops. And there's a playlist on drum mics. So w- there's a whole playlist on each kick. Kick in, kick out, snare top, snare bottom, hat, toms, overheads, underheads, and then tuning snare drum and tuning toms. It's all there. This feature may already exist, and uh, y'all just didn't invite me, but is there like a Lee's favorite playlist and a Jeff's favorite playlist? It's coming. Can we get a Dadu's favorite playlist? Well, yeah, absolutely. We can have Dadu's favorite playlist. Okay, cool. Can can I tag videos that aren't MXU? I just looked at, I'm, <laughs> I'm at the office right now, and I just looked at Scott, and he's, he approved, so okay, yes. Okay, good. But you may not link to videos outside of the website. Well, no. Jay, are you an admin for Passion City's Teams account? Yes. Well, then, as an admin of Teams, you can go create your own playlist and publish them for your team. Okay. So all your youngins that you're trying to bring along, you can create a playlist just for your Passion City volunteers and assign it to them. And basically... You guys will be happy to know that Rusty... Anderson just got a login. I saw that he was emailing me uh, today. We're uh, we're working on pro presenter videos, and he's oh, helping man. with those. Like what to do when it crashes? I, uh, uh, we're gonna edit. <laughs> that sounds like a hardware problem. <laughs> sounds like a long beep, Jeff. You got a long beep in there. <laughs> I'm gonna remain silent. Um. Yeah, so what were we talking about? Playlist and then, oh, conference. Bottom snare. What were we talking bottom about snare. the bottom snare, basically? Well, remember, my d- drums sucked, and I had to get back to the way they were, and part of that was I'm looking for that 14K and up out of the snare drum without getting loads of hi-hat or anything else in it, and a lot of it came from the snare bottom, and that Mojave 100 and 101... It had it, and it also had really nice low mids because I didn't high pass the snare bottom up a ton, I mean, quite a bit. But people kept asking, like, hey, what's a good mic for snare bottom? I'm like, well, it's 900 bucks. Sorry, but this Mojave we use for snare bottom and for overheads, and it's fantastic. They stopped making it. Right, I remember that part. It's the best mic they have. It's the only pencil condensers they have, so now they only have large diaphragm condensers, so... Yeah, I wasn't too happy with them. So we went on a journey, me, myself, and Aaron at the church. Like, okay, let's find another pencil that's got that super fast, silky top end. And we tried a ton. Neumann, AKG, Sure, Josephson, Sony even had one. I mean, there was a ton of them that we went through. Earthworks, DPA, and we Pastor settled. Jeff, what do you use? Well, for years, I used a 57. And it seemed to work fine. It did work fine. Until Lee started going down this road, and now I'm like, okay, second-guessing a little bit. I've used, I've used some condensers in the past, but honestly, on, on tour, setting up a tearing down every day, there is a ruggedness factor that did come into play for me. It was like, I know that I could drop a 57 or somebody could kick it, at loadout, and it wouldn't do any damage to it. I'm so, basically a 57. Yeah. You, you, yeah, you are I'm the more 57. of a 52. 
<laughs> There's Jeff, your snare drum sound is so unique. Like what you do to the drum is so it it's a thing as much as like I, I think I have a thing. Yeah. Well, part of it for me is unlike you, I stopped hearing 14k years ago. <laughs> so I don't really care about that silky air on top because I'm not hearing it anyway. Yeah. <clears throat> no, I'm just kidding. Um, it's interesting that you say that though. It's like I wonder how much of that sound is the actual mics versus just preference and tuning and the sound that I'm going for. I mean, I think I'm definitely going for a different sound in my head than you are. Yeah, for sure. Tomlin even said how good your snare drum was. And he was like, no one's been able to do it since, you know? So yeah. it, it, it has a, it's a crack. When people say I want yeah. the snare drum to crack, yours actually cracks. Yeah, that's what I'm going for is that just I want it to be right behind the vocal in yeah. the mix and I want it to drive the bus for the band. Like it's got to have it's got to have some crack to it. You could low pass your snare drum to 10k and I don't think it would change much. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, so pencil schmencil. Once we get some inventory of that mic, we may talk about it some more and actually recommend it. But it's a good one. It is a great one. Um so did that. I I played with that sample some more. And I I like it. I like it, guys. Yeah. It's okay. Did anyone come up to you and say, why is the drummer playing the snare behind the beat? Uh, no. It's a, <laughs> I haven't fixed the latency thing yet. What did happen, though, we've been thinking about the snare drum so much, the tuning, which drum we were using, all these microphones. And then I'm using that sample some. So some of the musicians, worship leader, would come up one specific time and said, oh, my gosh, that snare is awesome. How killer is that sample? And I looked down at the console and I said, well, right now it's muted. So that's awesome. You know, so I, in an effort to like make the snare drum better, I think I also had my best snare drum day ever without the sample and then turn it on and it's just different. You know, some people like, oh, I like that better or take it or leave it. You could do either one, but it's more of a, another texture. It's not replacing the drum sound. It would not work by itself. Right, you're just feathering it in there with the other mics. Yeah, it sounds like an 18-inch floor tom with a tambourine on it. Like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I love the fact that because of that focus, you've been able to get a snare drum sound that people notice the difference of. Yeah. And that it works with or without the sample. Like the the overall snare is better because of your going down this rabbit trail. Yep. It's awesome. That trail and then metering on the uh, bus outputs you know we've talked about that before like all my drums i'm running the gain up to minus 18 minus 18 minus 12 minus 12 sorry yeah so and i also end up adding eq so when it hits the bus it's getting up there and i felt like i was hearing it kind of squeeze before it clipped and so I'm and not because of compression, no, but just because of the bus itself. Yeah, like, just I'm just running out of headroom in the running console. out of bits. Yep. Yeah, and um, one thing that happened, like in the second day of rehearsals, I'm looking at the meters and they look okay, and I'm like, man, it doesn't. It's I swear, I, it sounds like I'm running out again, and like my drum bus was attenuated down like four dB, and I probably had a light or two left before it would hit red on the drum bus. And then I'm messing around in the meter page, just looking, and I notice my outputs were metering pre-fader. 
Oh. Yeah. So it's showing me that attenuation I had in the bus of minus four. So I clicked that thing on and my every single one of my bus meters went red to the top. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, frick, I thought my gain structure was right. Everything was everything was good and it wasn't. So I went in DCA 24 label choke C-H-O-K-E and then selected every band input, turned them down 10 dB because I still had that much headroom on the main left, right and in the PA. Wow. Pulled those things down and then put my band DCA back up and it was like, Oh, somebody took a blanket off the PA. I can breathe again. Yeah. Wow. So that was fun. That's amazing. Has it been that way for a long time? I don't know. I don't know. You know, there's so many people on the console. I didn't load a whole new file. I used like my Easter one, which only had, here's here's why I think this happened. That room has not been that full since January, February of 2020. So I didn't have a reason to drive the PA that hard. Right. And since then, so anything I've done in the past, it might have been, I just didn't run out of headroom because I didn't need to drive the PA that hard in a full room. Makes sense. Interesting. Yeah. Well, another lesson in just making sure, especially when it comes to gain structure, you know, you're obviously input gain, output gain, attenuation groups, DCAs, all those things interact and they all matter totally. and to know exactly what's happening at every stage is so important yep you know what's also important to know what's that how to use your console <laughs> and that's true great documentation is you know invaluable when you're purchasing a console you know who doesn't have great documentation behringer indeed Let's talk for a minute about the videos that we've done recently that you did recently yeah. on the Behringer wing. Yeah, so we, we got a wing, and it's been two weeks now since we shot videos on the wing, and it was like front to back how to use the console. So I tried to put myself in the seat of new church, new console, how do I use this thing? And you were literally unboxing it yeah. as, as you would if you were in that circumstance. Yes, Absolutely. You'd never seen it before, and you pulled it out and said, let's make some videos. No, and I gave myself about three days, a few hours each day to learn the console before we shot videos on it. And I thought, in the X32, that worked, so I'm assuming that amount of time would work for this console also. So um, that didn't happen. It took a lot longer. So then I go to Behringer's website and I'm like, well, let me get the manual. And I go to the product page and all the documentation. And it's like quick start guide, um, a bunch of software, firmware, you know, all the electronics info because you have to have that or it's illegal to sell, you know. Right. There's no user manual. The quick start guide is literally here's the power button, here's what the connectors do, kind of, but there's no like, in this menu, this button does this. So I just kept running into stuff in the menu where I'm like, I want to go through each page of this menu and tell all of our subscribers, when you check this box, here's what that means. Yeah. Well, we, we couldn't do that. And even when I would Google, like, what does, I, I, don't, I don't remember, um, I would Google a button that I didn't know what it was, okay? Looking for any website, any forum. 
I, guys, I got more information from Reddit on that console than I did Behringer's website. I wow. still don't know what Reddit is. Reddit's like <laughs> the dark web. I, fi- you, I do find random answers on there, but I don't know what it is. Yeah. Well, the other interesting thing is that you, you know, the console came with a firmware version that was way out of date. It so was, yeah. It, it wasn't just because of that, though. No. You updated the firmware and still had this problem. That's true. So on version 1.01 dot dot whatever, the menu looked a certain way. Like the t- it had one or two screens, and you you know you press a button, you can get a pop up, and then updated to 1.11. Now that menu's got five tabs and loads of other stuff. So it was giant changes. But some of those buttons still don't do anything. No, they still don't. Yeah. I found a guy who made a website, and it's like wingconsole.com or something. I'm messing that up. Don't go to that. But a guy made a website. It's just black background, white text to try and help people learn how to use it because he's like, hey, I made this because documentation's so poor. And there's a search function on his website. So I would search you know, one of the buttons that I didn't know what it was. And I found it on his and he said, I don't know what this does. I can't get it to do anything <laughs> either. I'm like, so it's not just me. I felt like Am I getting old and just don't know how to use technology? But it was bad. And the GUI on the console is really hard to like click, so to speak. You know how like you're learning yeah. a new console and it takes you a minute, but like once it clicks, you're like, oh, now it's I understand like, oh, the flow. You start to create some muscle memory yep. and it's like, okay, this is where I go for this set of things. Yep. Didn't happen. No. Longest it's ever taken for that to happen. It kind of got there. But it's not replicatable. It doesn't like repeat itself. It's super weird. And the other weird thing is that it's not like a lateral step from X32, M32. Like if, if you knew how to use this software, then this new software is just a more advanced version. It's like totally different. What price point does it sit in? It's around, it's cheap. It's like 3000 bucks for the Surface. Interesting. You know, and it, the the thing about it is it has so many features that you're like you get all that for 3000 bucks like it's got loads of great plugins every famous compressor and EQ they're on it like a distressor is on this thing that mag EQ on it with the airband that everybody loves is on it and wow. you can insert those plugins on the channel on the channel EQ instead of you having like oh that's a channel EQ let me throw an insert in no no no, no. replace it you can replace the channel EQ with a Neve EQ same wow. thing with the compressors. So, like, that's awesome. No one's ever done that before, which they should. LV1 does, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, but whatever. It's got auto-tune, but it's the worst freaking auto-tune I've ever seen. And if any church is using this auto-tune on your vocals, you should take it off. Because you can't pick the key, unless I'm mistaken. I will gladly admit I'm wrong. But it's all chromatic. So you don't you don't do that with vocals unless it's like a professional singer because if you're closer yeah. to being wrong than you are right it will force you to be wrong it's a half step yeah. up or down like you could use it on bass guitar you know something that it's incredibly difficult to mess up it's just tuning notes that you're playing better than what they're in they're in or out of tune but yeah well I think you know we're, we'll probably get some feedback from people who love it and they yeah. can't imagine living without it and that's fine. The biggest thing for me about Behringer in general is how their support and all that side of the company has completely tanked 
over the last couple of years. And it's really sad because it is an affordable product and they do have a lot of features. I just hate that the support side is so lacking compared to what it used to be. Yeah. They got rid of they got rid of a lot of great people. They did. There's a ton of churches that have this, and you're probably listening right now going, oh man. Now here's the thing. If you have it and it's set up and you're mixing on it, it's probably fine. It's getting to that point that was so painstaking yeah. for me. Yeah. And sussing out problems would be interesting, but I'm not saying you should go sell your entire Behringer ecosystem because this console sucks, but I am saying if you have an X32 right now and you're hoping to maybe move to that or you're considering a digital console for the first time and it's in your list of options, still go look at it and try it. But the Allen & Heath SQ, the Yamaha TF, even the Studio Live, which we have one in a box here that we're about to open, there are plenty of other options in that price range that I think you should consider as well. Yeah, that's good. Awesome. Well, I am excited about our guest today. We have a great interview because of a great experience that we had at D&B. Yep. So, Lee, why don't you tee it up? Yeah, so um, out in the live sound world right now, one of the talks of the town is this word immersive. And DMB has a product called Soundscape, and they have a specialist. He's based in Asheville. So we were there last week shooting content for MXU Now. And we spent some time with him, him teaching us what it was and hearing it. And I was super skeptical of Soundscape because I thought, and you'll hear me say this, that well, churches don't need that unless they're programming material that would require that. So... Just go into this with an open mind. It's not intended to be a commercial for DMB at all. I, it was, we asked Nick to come on the podcast because, okay, people are actually thinking the wrong way about immersive. I know I was up until yeah. we hit record on the camera and he's teaching us. I, I was wrong about it. Yeah. So, Nick Malgeri is his name. He's a freaking expert at this and communicates why they've decided to do what they do better than I think anybody I've heard do this. So here we go. Well, we are pleased to be joined today by Nick Malgeri from D&B. And Nick, why don't you tell us your actual title at D&B? Uh, troublemaker sometimes. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, what it says on my card is Advanced Systems Specialist. ASS ah, for short. ASS for short. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. Um, I think I have that in my title too. <laughs> I mean, essentially what it means is that I focus on some kind of more niche products and projects across North America, whereas a lot of our support team is focused on regions, and I'm just a little bit more kind of uh, overarching in there. Great. So we're here today to specifically talk about Soundscape and the process that DNB. Uh, is implementing for just a, a really a new immersive kind of deployment of PA systems. And so Lee and I were at DNB doing some videos last week, and we talked to you and did some video content about Soundscape, but we thought it'd be great to go ahead and have a conversation for the podcast as well to introduce people who might not be familiar with the concept to what Soundscape is, how it works, what limitations it's trying to overcome, 
um, what limitations it has or doesn't have, and just kind of have a dialogue about this thing that everybody seems to be talking about, which is immersive systems. Yeah, that's a buzzword these days, isn't it? It is yeah. a buzzword, and I think it's a buzzword without a lot of context because people yeah. tend to fill in the gap with what they think it is. I know I certainly did. And yeah, you know, when you see uh, advertisements from DMB or anyone else for that matter about whatever their immersive soup of the day is, you just think surround sound and, and mixing and panning things all around the room. And I knew it was more than that because when I would say that, you know, people from DMB, our friends there would say, well, you know, our approach is a little different, but we finally got to like really go into detail about what it is. So Nick, why don't you give us the 100,000 foot level of what you guys are trying to do? Yeah. I mean, first, I think maybe we should just kind of describe this term called object-based mixing. Yep. Right. And, and, and kind of point out how that's different than how our traditional PAs work. So what, what we're used to with most all PAs in the entire world is what we refer to as bus-based mixing, right? You have a whole bunch of inputs coming into the console. You mix them with your faders and your EQs, and they all come out of a bus. And most of the time, this is our stereo bus, the master bus. And that main bus gets distributed to all of our speakers, Right? The left goes to the left stack, the right goes to the right stack, and maybe they get combined together into mono for our front fills or for our outfills, you know, that kind of thing. So Soundscape, one of the major approaches that we have, because Soundscape means a lot of stuff, uh, is object-based mixing, which means that we take a signal into the processor and we position it within our software. And based on how it's positioned in the software, with what we call a sound object. That's a little icon you move on the screen. Depending on where the sound object is placed, it will decide how to distribute signals to all of your speakers automatically. And the goal here is to have an easier mix experience for the engineer with more clarity and depth, and to have more intelligibility and a more transparent, natural sounding PA system for the audience. And if we do this right, it's able to be done quickly and easily without incurring a bunch of workload on the operator. Okay, got it. And when you first explained this to us, where it started to sink in for me was talking about the current problems with traditional PA systems. Talk about that. Yeah, so we're used to thinking about PAs in stereo. Um, and I think as we start working larger and larger events, we start to think of them more and more in terms of mono. And the reason being is that, you know, stereo, two channels, a left and a right, this works great for where it was designed to be used, which is listening to records at home. And it translates okay to the car, and it works beautifully in headphones. It does not work in a large environment, you know, anywhere from a 200-person event all the way up to a 100,000-person stadium event. It just doesn't work. And the reason is, is because the left speaker and the right speaker are spaced out too far apart from each other for stereo to be effective. So what we result with, with our traditional stereo PAs is what we call the sweet spot. This is why the mix, you know, the mixer always wants to be in the center of the room because this is where the sweet spot is. This is the only part of the room where the listener can hear the left part of the PA and the right part of the PA equally. So that as you pan a sound between the left and right, you hear it correctly, but only if you're in the middle of the room. 
Meanwhile, and as you said, when we were talking, that really only represents about 15% of the seats. Right. And so if we're talking about a 100 person audience, I would say this might be 15 to 25 people in that audience. So 15 to 25%. And then as we go to 5,000 people, the amount of people in the sweet spot now is only 400. So right. that percentage is diminishing. And as we get to a stadium with 100,000 people, it might be 1% of the audience that's in the sweet spot. And this is why I say the larger the events become, the less we tend to mix in stereo because it just doesn't work for the vast majority of the listeners. Yeah, you stop hard panning very quickly as soon as the room gets wide. Yep. Now, Jay, you weren't with us in Asheville. Yeah, and- it was weird. I, I checked the mail. I didn't, see, I didn't see a paper ticket. I didn't see a paper ticket, a gas card, or or an address. Or well, anything. they were out of gas. Actually, they <laughs> they ran out of gas in Asheville. Those gas stations had lines. They were circling the Piggly Wigglies. Oh, oh, that's yeah. amazing. It was nuts. Anyway, so you weren't there and have no context of Soundscape other than you know marketing material that you've seen. So. I'm curious, like when the light bulb is going to come on during this conversation for you. I'm just, I, I'm just like when he's talking about the current problem. I'll make a noise, okay. <laughs> or you may see an expression, <laughs> but right now I'm still pretty clueless. But from what he's saying, though, does this make sense to you? Like mixing stereo in big rooms, we're not really doing that. We're totally we're making space for the vocal if we pan things. Really, that's kind of as yeah, a mixer. Trying to, that's, yeah, trying to make a hole for center. Right. Right. Put okay. Vocals in snare. Proceed, Nick. Yeah. So the idea with Soundscape is to fix this. We want to take the experience that happens in the sweet spot and we want to extend it to the entire audience. You know, um, well, you can't break the laws of physics. So please explain how you're going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So instead of a huge left and a huge right, whether it be like, you know, a big point source or a big stack of point sources or a big stack of line array boxes, instead of one big left and one big right, what we want to do is we want to take a similar amount of speakers, but we want to arrange them horizontally across the top of the stage. So we get more positions of speakers and each position is much smaller. That way, when we control this with our, our object-based mixing in the software, each performer on stage is being sent to all of the speaker positions differently depending on where they're located. That way, we get a whole huge PA working as a team, but no matter where you are in the audience, you hear the sound of the performer coming from where the performer is located. We're, we're reconnecting the listening experience, this kind of disconnection that happens when we put something through a PA system. We want to reconnect the audience with what's happening on stage. So this has a number of benefits. One, it allows your PA to go louder because the way the instruments are mixing together is not the same in any two speakers in the system. So this reduces bottleneck in our speaker system. Right. Two, it allows uh, everything to sound more naturally without having to do as much work in the mixer, right? We're used to having to use lots of EQ and compression and dynamics and waves plugins and all of this stuff, which is a lot of fun, but all of this job is just to create, like, what did you say? Room for the vocal? Yeah. We're trying to demask things with all of these complex tools when actually let's just make a PA that doesn't need to be demasked. This this sounds like 
like a whole new world, right? Yeah. So, but from the engineering side, like, would you th mix think differently when you're mixing? I'll tell you what. Um, it's, or how it's really, would you think differently, yeah, yeah. obviously? It's hard to explain until you experience it. But what I'm going to tell you is that I've mixed a ton of stuff for Soundscape. And I always start with mixing it through headphones or my speakers at home because I want to kind of get it ready before I get into the room when everybody's watching me. Right. Yeah. And here I am mixing in stereo, my headphones, my near field monitors. And I put on some EQ, I put on some compression, I do some high pass filter, you know, I'll pan some stuff around, and my stereo mix is sounding great. Then I take it to my soundscape room here at, at the America's headquarters in Asheville, and I plug it in a soundscape and I hit play, and it sounds terrible. And I think to myself, what was I doing? <laughs> and so, you, you know, that moment where you're like, start over. I've gone down the wrong road. I'm just yeah. going to bypass all of my processing and start over. And as I'm bypassing my EQs and my compressors and all of that, the mix is coming back to life. Mm. And I've had to relearn this over and over and over again because it's just not intuitive. It, it, you know, it's kind of like this red pill, blue pill moment. What if I told you? I'll take both. Yeah. <laughs> what if I told you that the primary job of the mix engineer is to undo the effects of the mixer. Yeah, that's interesting. Right? I mean, the, con the console itself. Right. This idea that we're taking a complex three-dimensional world of infinitely variable acoustic phenomenons, mixing it all down together and sending it out of one pipe. Right. That is creating all of these fidelity issues. And actually, what we just needed was a better platform. You're like the tes Tesla of audio. Yes. Yeah, You're really like, like just messing things up. Totally. Yeah. I like to think of us as the Apple computer of audio systems, you know? Okay. Let's back, let's back up a little bit. So yeah. when, when you think about speakers spread across the top of the stage and someone on the left side of the room experiencing the sweet spot, the, and I asked you this in one of the videos, so I'm, I'm teeing you up because I already know the answer to this. Hmm. But let's take a band that we all know and we would know who they are on stage. So let's take you two. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm on the left side, house left, and the edge is on house right. He's on stage left. And that's really far away. His arrival time to me is going to be later than the speakers closest to me. And if I want to go hear you two, I don't want to hear the edge playing 80 milliseconds behind everything else. So how do mm -hmm. we solve that? Right. So you've kind of opened up two Pandora's boxes here. <laughs> and I want, to, I want to talk about one at a time. The first one is, um, you know, you would expect as, as you're there on house left and the edge is on the far side of the stage, as if we use object-based mixing and we move his object over there, that it's only coming out of that part of the PA and you're here on house left just not hearing enough of the edge. Right. Right. And this is what you would expect because we're used to thinking about PAs like this. And if your, your immersive processor is working with level-based panning only, this is true. That right side of the PA is going to be doing all the work for the edge, and if you're all the way on the left, you're not going to hear it. Right. Soundscape, however, incorporates delay processing to every speaker individually. So the idea is, is no matter where an object is placed, it's coming out of all speakers in the PA. But with different delay, 
to redirect your attention so that you hear the edge coming from where it's intended to come from, even though it's coming from speakers right in front of you. This way, everybody hears every object and every performer, regardless of where they are, but the localization is still stable and correct. So one of the things that you talked about when we saw you at headquarters was this idea of actually using comb filtering to your advantage. Mm-hmm. You know, we always think of comb filtering as something to be avoided because in a stereo image, obviously you have two things and only two things that are colliding in that way. And it sounds like something's out of phase. This is really weird. What's that comb filtering thing? And you said, you know, you, I remember one slide in particular where it was like there was all this sort of intentional comb filtering mm. that was actually helping to accomplish what you were saying. So can you talk about that for a second? Yeah. So, so, you know, you're right. We're used to thinking about comb filtering as this very bad, unnatural thing in the amplified world. And this is because our sound systems are very limited. But comb filtering is a totally natural acoustic phenomenon that happens all the time. And we don't even notice it. For example, <clears throat> Jeff and Lee, if you guys both stood in a room together and sang the same note at the same time, you guys would be comb filtering off of each other. Right. And your reflections off of the walls would be comb filtering off of each other. Yep. But you would never hear that. You would never perceive that. Am I right? Right. Right. Because this is the way the acoustic world works around us. And our brain is used to hearing this comb filtering and actually using it as valuable data for us to interpret the world around us. Yeah. What we're doing is is we're thinking about our sound system more in these terms with many sources all handling different delay times intentionally because every speaker in Soundscape is actually aware of every other speaker. So the way the level and time is distributed is more closely recreating this natural acoustic sound. And then our ears are able to interpret that because we we hear binaurally, but also in a sort of 360 space. Mm -hmm. So we're able to interpret those differences in a natural way. So let me use another, another analogy here to kind of drive this home. Let's say you go to your niece's high school choir performance. I like this example because we've all been to one of those, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's at the gym or, or whatever. It's totally acoustic. There's no PA system at all. And there's 30 high school kids standing on stage singing at the same time. And as you're listening and watching, you can see your niece and you can hear your niece's voice. Yep. Even though there's 29 other voices happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. Then I decide to record this. And of course, you know, I'm, I'm crazy with audio stuff. So I bring in my $100,000 collection of microphones. I record it 192K sampling rate through Neve preamps. And I hire whoever your favorite famous Grammy engineer is to mix it down. And I listen to it back on a, you know, pair of these $40,000 ATC reference speakers. You know, it's the world's best recording (laughs) and the world's best listening environment, but it's stereo and I can no longer hear my niece. Hmm. This is why we see, you know, companies doing plugins for Spatial in the Studio and Dolby Atmos in the cinema world and Clang fixing your in-ear monitors and Soundscape fixing your PA. We're trying to reintroduce the listener to the ability for them to demask sounds themselves. 
so that as an audience member, when I decide I want to listen to the edge on the far side of the stage, I can use my spatial awareness to basically zone out other sounds and focus in on what the edge is doing. Yeah. Interesting. That is interesting. So um, you explained all of this to us first before I heard it. So I was in that demo room for three days and didn't listen to Soundscape. We were listening to point source and line source speakers. And then we, we video you teaching us about Soundscape for the very first time. So we captured real honest instruction, if you will. Yeah, wasn't that and fun? Then it was super well, fun. Because the, the objective was to be unbiased in our experience. Like we wanted to hear from you, here's what it does. And then we listened to it and either be wowed or not wowed by what we heard. So mm-hmm. then we hit record for the very first time that we actually heard it. And you did an experiment. There's The room is 40 feet wide, 60 feet deep-ish, because we measured, because I want to build one of those for MXG one day. It was the perfect size. Um, and then <laughs> I got a guy. In like the back two-thirds of the room was an SD12. And that's not a big console. It's, around, it's uh, one of those Argosy workstations. So you're in the center. Jeff is standing immediately on one side of you and I'm on the other. So we're within right. We're almost shoulder to shoulder. Right? Shoulder to shoulder. Yeah. And then you play um, a track three different ways, mono, stereo, and through soundscape. And in the mono, it was, well, in all three, it was a vocal, a trombone, bass, and a violin. Is that what it was? Guitar. A guitar. Mm-hmm. And you said, okay, this one's mono. When you hear the vocal come on, everyone point to the speaker it comes out of. Mm-hmm. And in front of us, there were five speakers. Is that what it was? Yep. Okay, so we knew this was in mono, so there's only going to be one on. You hit play, the vocal comes on. All three of us point to the center speaker. I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, next experiment. Let's play it in stereo. And you said, when the vocal comes on, point to where you hear it from. And... I didn't think it would be this pronounced, but I was actually shocked. The vocal came on. I pointed to the far right. You pointed, Nick, to the center, and then Jeff pointed to the far left. I am 18 inches away from your head, and I would swear to you that that vocal was only in the right speaker. Right. You you were 18 inches out of the sweet spot. I thought you'd pan the vocal. Right. Because it was like, no, it's coming out of the one right in front of me. And it was on the left. Right. But and, then, and, right, this is already distracting for us, but imagine you're, you know, one of the lay people who doesn't spend every day in front of a PA system like we do. This is, this is a huge disconnect. This is really distracting. This is fatiguing. This is why the PA, quote, is too loud. Right. Because of these weird effects, right? Hmm. So then you played it through Soundscape, through five speakers, and when the vocal comes on, everybody point. And then, like magic, all three of us pointed to the same speaker in the center. Mm-hmm. Dead center. So we get to mix with the size of stereo, with this big, fun, wide canvas, but with the consistency of mono, because everybody hears exactly the same thing. And we get more fidelity between the instruments. Did you guys notice when we listened to it in Soundscape, the bass and the guitar were stepping on each other less? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so imagine, you know, you've got this, it was an upright bass in that case, and an acoustic guitar. And there's a lot of overlap for those two instruments, kind of between, I don't know, 150 and 250. Yep. Yep. And that's where the mud happens, 
right? This is where you can't hear enough bass because a guitar is stepping on it, and you can't hear enough guitar because a bass is stepping on it, and so you would need to carve out some space in the processing. But with Soundscape, the way the bass and the guitar are mixing together is different in every single speaker. So whatever the mud is in speaker number one, it's different than what the mud is in speaker number two, which is different than what the mud is in speaker number three. And the end result that we hear is just more clarity without having to EQ in the console. And I don't know any engineer that doesn't struggle with 200 to 250. So that makes everybody's job a little bit easier just from the get-go. Yeah, right? I'm almost 230 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to get to what everyone is thinking right now listening, which is cost. We're going to get to that question um, probably last. But after we played that jazz track, we said, okay, do you have an example with uh, many more instruments? Mm-hmm. And you played a piece of about of a 30-piece band, something like mm-hmm. that. Well, or 30 inputs, maybe not a 30-piece band. But it was it was a full band. It would be more yeah, yeah. similar to Drums, something. bass, two guitars, two keyboard yeah. players, a full horn section, background vocals, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. And the impression that it left on me during a little bit, but more after, as, as I've been thinking about this, was... I could hear every single instrument and it it wasn't because the quality of the mix that is was the reason I could hear every single instrument. So it made me think and you said this in the very beginning on this recording you said the goal of this is to make mixing easier and make listening better and I think that's what it does. It's you don't have to be I need to be really careful when I say this. This I can't believe it's coming out of my mouth. You don't have to be Robert Scoville on the console to get a high-quality mix mm-hmm. when you've got that many speakers in the room and you're able to move things around. If the goal is just to hear hear everything, like don't mm-hmm. conflate what I'm saying with a, a bad mixer can now mix good. That's not what I'm saying, but... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Does that make sense? Ab- you know... Let's be. I, I work for DMB, right? I've been doing this for 25 years. I'm I'm a top level audio professional, but I am not a black belt ninja engineer guy. You know, and sure. I've met these people. Scoville's a great example. They can make PA's that normally sound horrible just yep. sing, yep. right? And I I don't know how they do it. Yeah, you know, it's a mystery mm-hmm. to me. And I've been doing this for 25 years. Yeah. So so you know yeah. You know, hey, props to Robert. We're not all him. Right. You know? <laughs> and I I know wasn't I was trying to say that without insulting your mix. That's not what I was doing. It was Yeah, yeah. It was oh, now knowing all these tricks about how to clean up the low mids isn't as needed. Mm-hmm. Right? I, it's like now I'm thinking about how many times I EQ the kick drum, get the right amount of attack, it's soloed up, right? You EQ the kick drum, you get through the rest of the drums. Okay, drum kit sounds awesome. Then you unmute the rest of the band and you can't hear the kick drum anymore. And I'm like, oh, wow, it needs a lot more top end. Mm-hmm. A lot of that's going to go away with this. Absolutely. It's like when you had it soloed and it sounded good and you place the object and there's nothing else competing around it, you're not going to get that masking of the high end because something else is taking it over. And what if I told you you left it? Yeah. Well, what if I told you the volume of the PA is going to come down because right. That, that analogy you used is perfect. The kick sounds great. until you turn everything else on. Now the kick is missing and you add more high frequency to the kick. 
You add SPL. But, but now the snare isn't popping, so you add a little bit of the 2K on there to get a little snap or something. And then, you know, all of a sudden you're pushing. You're pushing everything up in an effort to try to regain clarity. Yeah. But what if you just you turned it up to a normal? Vocal. Yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. Yeah, correct. <laughs> and what if you just turned it up and you had clarity? Now you're not pushing trying to find it. Yeah. Mm. Two, yeah. two questions before we get to price. What's, yeah. what's the ideal size room? Not that you're, uh, can you just publish the price list, please, at the end of this? That'd be great. But yeah. like, what's, like, does this work in every size room? I know you said you're in a 40 by 60, but 100 seat right. room, 2,000 seat room, like, what are the limitations? Arenas? The only, well, all right. So, so let me rephrase it a different way. The smaller the room is, the less beneficial soundscape is. Right. But as you guys heard, even in a 60 foot wide room, which is basically the size of like what the world's smallest jazz club. Yeah. It's still beneficial. And as you get bigger and the left and right would normally be spaced out more and more soundscape becomes more and more beneficial. So there really is no restriction per se. You will have to, at some point come to terms with physics like Lee alluded to earlier if the guitar player is coming out of, you know, is, is on that side of the stage and that side of the stage is a hundred feet further away than this side of the stage, there's going to be a big delay there. Yeah. And we have other modes that Soundscape can run in for these extra large format things. But uh, all the way up to, to you know, four story theaters that hold 15,000 people, no problem. To me in my head, it looks like someone just turned a line array on its side. And just hung yeah. it like curved yeah. over yeah. the stage. Okay, so now what every church is thinking about, and they're waiting on me to ask because I'm the guy with the reputation of accusing churches of spending too much money. Mm-hmm. Well, clearly more speakers means more money. So, what's the deal? Well, hold on. So far, nothing we've talked about requires more speakers. We haven't talked about surrounds. We haven't talked about overheads. We haven't talked about rear speakers. All of the benefits and everything we've talked about works on a forward-facing PA system. And like Jay just said, we're taking the line array and we're putting it on its side. Yeah. So we see a lot of situations where maybe the, the stereo specification of a PA might be eight line array boxes aside for a total of 16 boxes. Yep. We can... You know, if we had 16 speakers across the front in Soundscape, that would be an amazing Soundscape rig. Normally, we do it with five. Yeah. Right? So, So a a lot of times, it's actually cheaper PA, which is good because you're going to have to buy the extra processor, which is going to make the cost about the same. Yeah, okay. And and that was one of the slides you used in our video, had a picture of what you would see in a church. Uh, Left, right, line array with an array for side fills on each side. So four hangs of arrays. Mm-hmm. And it was something like, how many amp channels did that take up? I think it was 32 amp channels. Yeah, with subs, side fills, mm-hmm. putting the array in three zones each. Mm-hmm. And then another picture of a soundscape set up and same SPL, less boxes and half the amount of amp channels. Mm-hmm. That's right. So it's actually it can be the same cost and maybe even mm-hmm. less in some cases. In some cases, yeah. And let's also point out the other thing, right? All right, so everybody listening to this podcast, we're all audio-focused people. 
But there's a whole nother aspect of picking a PA system that we have to deal with every freaking day. And it's the aesthetic impo- uh, impact. Yeah. Right? Especially with screens. Right. Right. What's the joke? Nothing, nothing increases an audio budget like a need from the video department. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as they put a new screen in, then they found out they also needed a new PA because a PA blocks the screen. You know, that yeah. kind of a thing. So... Left, right line arrays are great until you need to, you know, respect the sight line to the screen. And then the line array hangs in the way and this type of stuff. So what with Soundscape, the whole PA is high and tight, like a banner across the proscenium. You don't have these big bananas hanging down anymore. And this, I mean, you bring this to the production manager or the head pastor or the stage manager, the video director, they're loving this. Right. And the, mm-hmm. and the fact that it sounds better, great. I'm sure the audio guy will love that, you know? Yeah. And you can do this with arrays if you want. Of course. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, if you want to do soundscape with uh, nine arrays of 24 GSL, we'll be happy to sell that to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're, since, I, since I was not invited to Asheville till now, <laughs> oh. um, where can I go hear it? Yeah, all right. Um, I mean, we have a number of installations across the country, whether it be a theater or a church that you into, you know, give us a call. We can hook you up with them. I really like that because then you can go hear it in a real space and talk to people who operate it. I've got four more weeks till I can leave um, the state of Georgia legally. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, otherwise, if you want to come hear it with us and get trained and maybe bring your own tracks and play with it, uh, we have a demo facility here on the East Coast, here in Asheville, North Carolina. We have another one on the West Coast in Long Beach, California. Uh, and this is also where we do our workshops and all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, I recommend that if you want to come hang out with DMB and enjoy some beverages and dinners and stuff. Yeah, they've turned an old subwoofer into a bar cart. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, it's a good pretty, time. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's a good time. It is cool. So we, we started this conversation about immersive and some misconceptions about what that means. One thing that we didn't talk about with Soundscape is the sort of 360 version of this, because there is the 180 deployment that we've been talking about Mm -hmm. with objects across the front, but then you also have a process by which you do have a surround slash immersive whatever anytime you use words like that it sounds gimmicky so i don't yeah. want to i don't want to go too far down that road in terms of the nomenclature but mm-hmm. there is a 360 experience that can happen with this as well can you talk about that for just a minute yeah i mean the main premise here is that we're placing sound objects any you know anywhere we want a sound to come from and in the soundscape processor it's aware of where all the speakers are located so it knows how to distribute the signal wherever we put the sound object and I don't know if we said it before, but it's a 64 by 64 matrix mixer, basically. Right, right, right. That's what so, the processor yeah. is. It's a rack mount device with Dante. It can take 64 inputs and spit out 64 outputs. Yeah. Um, and so in the processor, it knows where the speakers are located and which way they're pointing. We place a sound object and it distributes signals. So if there's a forward-facing PA and we put objects behind the PA, like where the stage is located, great. If we have side speakers, now we can place sound objects on the side. And if we have rear speakers, now we can place sound objects to the rear and ceiling speakers and so on. And all of this happens intelligently, even if we have multiple zones of speakers. So we can have this spatialization running on a mains and a front fills, 
separately, and we can have it running separately in an under balcony fill system and running separately in the upper balcony fill system. The upper balcony and the lower floor can have their own sets of surrounds that have their own spatialization algorithms running separately. It handles all of this automatically. And so, you know, the saying we have at DMB is more is more. So if you've, you know, if you've got more speakers, we can make sound come from more directions. Uh, you know, we're happy to do anything you can afford. But all of this placing sound around the audience, this is really just icing on the cake, you know? Right. We're taking all the advantages of fixing the problems with our traditional PA system and we're extending it to surround sound, and that's wonderful. And when we add surround sound, we now have the ability to change the room's acoustics electronically as well. Yeah, which so, we've seen that before mm -hmm. in other very expensive systems. And because <clears throat> the way you guys are doing it, the cost is like a tenth of what people have probably heard of this happening before. Yeah, because most, you know, there's a lot of good electroacoustic systems out there. Yeah. I'm not going to name them, but, you know, there's some names on the market. We've heard of them. They're cool. Um, they sound really great, but not one of them also works as a PA system. Right. So you have to buy two sound systems, one to do your artificial reverb and one to do your amplification. Yeah. Whereas Soundscape, the two systems are one and the same. They can both be run by the sound engineer with maximum flexibility and like half the cost or less. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's great. Awesome. Jay, do you have any questions? Um, a lot. I think I've just got to go to Asheville. So you do have yeah. to hear it. The first time, you know, DB talked about this and other companies, I thought, okay, churches don't need this unless their program material called for this type of mixing. And after hearing it, I've changed my mind. Now I'm, I'm exactly where you were. Yeah, now it's not about the program material anymore to me. But I didn't, I couldn't understand that until I heard it. Even like Nick, you do an amazing job explaining it better than anyone I've heard, quite honest. Yep. And totally. even with that, you still have to put yourself in the room to experience it, to understand that, no, there's, there's an argument for why this could work in lots of different places, even if it's just speech. Actually, maybe even more compelling when it's just speech, because the thing that drives me crazy with speech is when I hear someone talking from on upper left-hand side of my head, and I see them talking off the right side of my hand, if that makes sense. Right. That drives me nuts. There's studies about how message retention goes down in the setup. Yeah. So being able to reconnect the voice with the presenter on stage is a really, really powerful communication tool. Yep. You know, and, and I like to explain, you know, let's say you're some type of an impactful speaker. I don't know, motivational speaker, corporate CEO, or, you know, worship or Jay, pastor, you're Jay. right? Yeah. And, and you walk downstage to the very front edge and you're talking to people in the front row. The rest of the audience can still hear you, but they hear you talking to those people in the front row. Right. It becomes personalized. You know, the sound system becomes an extension of your speaking technique, right? This is, this is why the guys in Broadway eat this stuff up. They were the first adopters. To be able to use this to reconnect the audience to the storyline yeah. is mm -hmm. huge. Now, Ken, do you have the ability of putting motion tracker technology on sound objects? Absolutely. So yeah. we can have up to 64 sound objects all being tracked individually, if you'd like. 
Yeah, that's why Broadway like it. So the actor moves across the stage, and so does his sound object. Automatically. That's pretty mm-hmm. cool. My mind is blown. Yeah. <laughs> well, next trip to Asheville. By the way, Jay was invited. Yes, he so was. So you don't think we excluded Jay. I was. He was just unavailable. So next time. Oh, he was he had better stuff game. to do. Soccer. Uh, yeah. my, d- my dating app is just full with invites. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's wild. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I, there was a soccer game, and I don't know what else I was doing. Well, <laughs> next time, you're going to be with us because it is something to experience for sure. Awesome. Well, Nick, thank you so much. This is super informative and super helpful. I think, you know, it helps bring some clarity to the thinking behind Soundscape and hopefully um, makes people curious to go and hear it somewhere because yeah. it is it is pretty compelling. Hey, guys. I mean, this has been a lot of fun, and I love that we get to extend our shenanigans last week in Asheville and hang out some more. So this Yeah, is absolutely. Can I do and- a quick plug? Yeah, of course. Sure. I just want to tell everybody out there, if you have more questions, go to uh, dbsoundscape.com. And if you have tech questions or sales questions, or you just want to clarify some kind of like how sound systems work, go ahead and send an email to support at dbaudio.com. We have lots of people ready to help, whether you're a customer of ours or not. That's awesome. Awesome. All right, Nick, appreciate you. And we'll see you on the tour in the fall as well. Oh, yeah. We're going on the road. That's right. Absolutely. All right, Jay. Now you know what Soundscape is. What do you think? My mind is blown. Like, I think I'm going to have questions tonight when I try to go to sleep. Yeah. It really is a game changer in a lot of ways. And it's different from what you assume it is. Like, you hear things like immersive and you hear, you know, this object-based placement and all this stuff and it just sounds like a gimmick but like i want to dig into it more with my own tracks to go and like try to put a full band through it and see how i would want to orient some of the stuff just to just to see okay how does my console processing change because of this placement thing yep and if it requires less then what is it less of is it less eq or less dynamics less processing like what's the how does it change the bus structure maybe? I mean, I, I would love to kind of take some tracks and just play for a day and see what happens. I appreciate I Nick's vibe. He's a smart dude. Yeah, he yeah. is. I want to take a worship leader MD type with me to do it. Yeah. Because I think they'll think about this in different ways than me. I think mixing, bus mixing and stereo for so long, it's going to be very hard to think differently about it. So like taking an uber creative musician to sit beside you and go, what if, what if this, what if that? I think it'd be really it's cool. It's a good idea. Yeah, that's cool. Man, I wanted to say that our Jacksonville episode, I have I had a lot of people reach out just to say, and I know, Lee, you said someone reached out just how much they appreciated the real talk. So, yeah, I hope that everyone is checking on each other and, and having real talk within their communities and their little networks and teams. Yeah. Absolutely. Totally. And Jay, I, I I wasn't sure that I would ever say this based on how it all went down at first, but I actually think it might be time for another hijack. So I don't think you can schedule those. I think that I get, the, the Lord just inspires me and I just... <laughs> I understand, but I'm saying I'm open to the idea of you taking over sometime soon. Yeah, I'm going to go through the Olympic medalist contacts in my phone, see who we got. Hey, I really want to go to a Kings game, by the way. Can we make that happen? Well, 
You, they're uh, making you show your uh, vaccine card to get in the arena. So, well, well I'm oh, double vaxxed. I've got the mark of the beast. Oh, I do too. Mine's uh, my mag- cell service has gotten worse though since I've got Dude, the mark of the beast. You should see what size <laughs> magnet I can get to stick to my arm. It is oh my nuts. <laughs> you guys are ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we are gonna be ending the early bird special shortly. May thirty first. End of the month. It's over. Yep. Get your tickets. Get your also. Tickets. If you're a Teams subscriber to MXU now already, start cranking out those playlists. I can't wait to hear how you guys are using the playlist feature to pour into your teams and to monitor their progress as they go through some of these videos that you think are appropriate for your context. So get that going. If you're not a subscriber, subscribe to MXU Teams. It's gonna be a great experience because we got a lot more features coming soon. Can't wait to see you there. All right. See you boys later. Bye. Bye.